Well, we're privileged this morning to have with us one of the really the premier teachers in the body of Christ today. He's pastored one of the great churches in Tulsa for 30-some years. Um, now, is, now he's turned that over to his son. He's traveling all over the world. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to take any more time. Would you let him do it for himself? Would you welcome to our, our pulpit uh, brother, our brother Bob Yandian? Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you can be seated. It's good to be here today with you. You know, my grandparents are from Providence, and I used to come here every few years and see them. And uh, it's a wonderful part of my background, my my childhood. It's good to be here again, only this time to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's important. Tuesday's a very important day, a very important day. Don't stay home and decide not to vote. There are not two evils in any election. There are three. And the third one's the worst, not voting at all. And often people say, well, we got the lesser of two evils to choose from. Let me say this. Philippians chapter 4 says, Whatsoever things are good, lovely, or of a good report, think on these things. Quit looking at the negatives and start looking at what's right about them. Take both of them. Compare them to the Bible, or then just look at their record. What have they done for the good of our country? And look at them and take the better part of them. Instead of looking for the lesser of the evil, start looking what good. And one might outweigh the other one as far as good. Do that. But line them up with the Bible first and say, what has Hillary done through government for our country? What has Donald Trump done through business for our country? What good have they done? And start looking for good above the evil. And uh, I listen, if you didn't vote and you don't vote, the patriots who gave their lives for that privilege for you would be the first ones to scold you, then God would be the next one. So be sure and get out there and vote, okay? It's important. And uh, our country, I believe, we're in a very, uh, I believe we're at a very important turning point, and you make the decision. So again, get out there and vote. And again, that's on Tuesday. So it's an honor to be here with you today. And uh, because, uh, again, we're living in this day and very close is Veterans Day coming up at the end of the week. And that is I've written a book. And uh, the reason why is because it seemed like there's so much uh, uninformed people in the, in the church, especially younger people today in college and those coming out, those in our church, and have not gone through war or seen that much war, is what does the Bible have to say about national defense? So I wrote a book called The Bible and National Defense. And I probably didn't know there was this much in the Bible about the subject of national defense, but there is. And I answer such questions because there's so many questions today that have always been around. Doesn't the Bible say thou shalt not kill? No, it doesn't. Your King James says that, but the Hebrew doesn't. The actual commandment says thou shalt not commit murder. It's a commandment against homicide, but it also says there is a time to kill and there is a time to heal. It's a totally different word. And so to understand that helps you to understand God's principle. And then also, doesn't the Bible say, you know, turn the other cheek? Yes, it does. But there's a proper time to do that when you're being persecuted for the gospel, not because somebody just wants to break into your house. Okay? So... There's a difference. Didn't Jesus tell Peter, those that live by the sword will die by the sword? Yes, he did. Those who live by the sword are criminals. They'll die by the sword, capital punishment. Amen. 
Okay. Anyway, that book's out there. And if you have somebody in the military, there is so much animosity toward the military today. Get them this book and help them understand God loves you and God appreciates what you've done. And God will back you up in war. He'll see two at a thousand may fall at one side, 10,000 at the other, but it will not come near you. So that book's out there on the table. That'll be a blessing. Uh, I've got a little small book here, Let God's Will Find You. I talk to people 50, 60 years old, still searching for the will of God. And they're running from meeting to meeting, praying about it. Lord, show me your will. When the best thing to do is just get to work helping people, God's will will find you. I can't find a place in the Bible where God ever brought his will to people praying. They were doing something. Moses was shepherding when he ran across the burning bush. David was shepherding when the, when the prophet came to the house looking for the next king. Gideon was on the threshing floor. Elisha was plowing. I mean, we go on and on and on. The New Testament, they were fishing. They were collecting taxes. They were helping widows in the church when God's will came along. But none of them had to run around for meeting looking for prophets to tell them what to do. God brought his will to them. So there's a good book for you. And then the life of Joseph. Anybody ever thought you hit rock bottom and then the bottom fell out from under you? That's Joseph. So how God brought him out, delivered him to the great position that he had. And so those are out there on the table after church. I'll be out there to sign the books. Does it make them worth more? So don't put them on eBay trying to get more money out of them. The only time my books will be worth more is when I die. And I plan on living for a long, long time. Okay. So great to be with you, Pastor John. Thank you for inviting me to be here. I was here a couple of years ago, enjoyed myself. Now I'm back again to enjoy myself again. And uh, I'm looking forward to this week. Amen? Amen. You say, what if the election doesn't turn out like you want? Jesus didn't fall off the throne. God's still up there. And there's going to come a day Jesus will come back and rule forever. No more Democrats, no more Republicans, no more Congress, no more Senate. We won't vote on him every four years. The Bible says he'll reign forever and forever. That's going to be good, right? All right. Open, if you would, to Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts, the first chapter. It's a great honor again to be here. I want to minister to you today about probably the greatest thing that we have as Christians for winning souls, and that is the supernatural. God has blessed us with the supernatural. So many churches don't want to talk about the supernatural, but if you receive Jesus, that's part of the supernatural. The new birth is part of the supernatural. My Lord, in an unseen realm, you died to Satan's kingdom, were recreated into God's kingdom. You're no longer a child of Satan. You're a child of God. You're no longer a member of Satan's family. You're a member of God's family. What Adam did and passed a curse onto you has been removed by the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who came back. In Adam all died, but in Christ all are made alive. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. But miracles don't stop with the coming of the new birth. We just have to remember that the whole Bible is a supernatural book, is that God did miracles in the Old Testament, God does miracles in the New Testament, and He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've had, uh, in 33 years that I pastored my church, I love to have ministers who specifically operated in the supernatural come to our church. I remember some operated so effortlessly. I remember Mario Morello, still a good friend of mine, 
But Mario just flows in this gift so easy. He can be preaching and suddenly stop and call somebody out and tell them what's wrong with them and see them healed right there in front of them. They've gone to the doctor the next day, come back and reported in the church service the next night of what wonderful things God had done. Doctors' reports confirm healings, miracles, replacement of parts in their body, just wonderful things. I remember we had uh, uh, Richard Roberts come to our church, uh, or Roberts' son. Talk about effortless. I mean, he just preaching, and he's funny, and he's in the Bible, and suddenly he'll just stop and minister to somebody, and then come right back, and then turn and minister to somebody, and preach back to the Word. It just flows in and out of it so easily. But I remember this one guy that came to our church. He made it look so difficult. He'd be preaching, suddenly he would stop saying, now it's time for the supernatural. He'd go... People in church look at him and go, wow, he must be really something. And my first thought was, did Jesus do that? Can you see Jesus doing that, walking down the road, talking to his disciples about lunch or what hotel they're going to stay at that night or what city they're going to go to? And suddenly the woman with the issue of blood comes up and touches Jesus. He goes, wait, just a minute. And my whole thought was, why is this guy making so much trouble out of it? And yet what he did was perfect, wonderful. I mean, he called out a lady in our church that was the, the board member's wife that the whole congregation knew had gone deaf in an ear because they cut an eardrum out because she had cancer in it that was going into her brain. And he called her out and said, you don't have hearing in one ear. In fact, they cut an eardrum out. I mean, the congregation just went crazy. Everybody just froze for a moment. Then they started rejoicing. It had to be God. He didn't know who she was. Had her stand up, touched her ear. She said it sounded like water running in that ear. Within 10 seconds, God had recreated an eardrum in her ear. Wonderful. You say, well, those things died with the Bible. Folks, the Bible's still alive. It's a living book. The Bible didn't die. God didn't fall off the throne. He didn't pull some ladder up into heaven and say the gifts will come back later at some time or healing will come back. He's the same. And again, to see those things happen makes you realize God doesn't just care about getting you to heaven. He cares about you while you're here on earth before you get to heaven and cares about your daily life. So I want you to look with me here at Acts chapter 1 because I wondered about this. That man really, that, that third man I talked about, made me wonder for years, why did he have to do that? And do I have to do something really spectacular? When I go to Walmart and some lady behind the cash register just mentions her daughter is sick, do I have to wait for some... <sighs> do I need to do that in Walmart? I hope I don't have to do that in Walmart. <laughs> Or Lowe's or some other place. You have to do that. You know, they think you're nuts. They run every direction. But to think, you know, and I thought, do I need to do that? What is it that made it so effortless with Jesus? I think about that one day he was going down the road, talking to his disciples and crowds were around him. And as he was talking to his disciples, probably planning on where they were going, where their hotel was going to be, what food, the woman with the issue of blood came up and touched him. And Jesus immediately said, power flowed out of me. They said, why? He said, somebody touched me. They said, somebody touched you? Look at the size of the crowd. They're bumping up against you. He said, no, somebody touched me. In other words, it was more than a bump into Jesus. It was more than just knocking into him. Somebody purposely touched him for healing, and he felt the power flow out of him. He was on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter who was dying. And by the time he had the woman give her testimony about 12 years of going to doctors and couldn't get rid of this thing, and now she was healed. In the meantime, Jairus' daughter died. 
The report came in, don't bother Jesus anymore, your daughter's dead. Jairus was probably upset with Jesus for taking time with this woman. If he had just hurried up, he could have made it to the house. But Jesus just looked at him and said, he said, don't worry about it. He said, only believe all things are possible. How do you believe if God could heal you from sickness, he could raise you from the dead? He went straight to the house. I mean, he didn't have to get into some kind of trance or, or hyperventilate or anything else. He just took the little dead girl by the hand. The moment he did, she sat up in bed and came to life. See, Jesus flowed in and out of it. He could be talking a normal conversation, natural with you, and switch over to a supernatural. Again, Jesus knew how to go back and forth so easy. I wondered about that one day until I read this verse of Scripture and something jumped out at me. Look with me at a very familiar verse of Scripture. Jesus told his disciples that they should go to the upper room, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speak with other tongues. But I want you to notice what he says in this verse. Look at Acts chapter 1. And look with me at verse 8. Here he says, you shall receive power after, some of your translations say when, it simply means the moment the Holy Spirit has come on you, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I want you to notice that he said when you receive the Holy Spirit, it comes with power. It doesn't come by itself. It's like a Siamese twin. You receive one, the other's attached right to it. The Holy Spirit comes with power. Look with me. Hold the place there and look with me further in Acts. Go to Acts chapter 10. Look at Acts chapter 10. And I want you to look with me at verse 37. This is reflecting back on the ministry of Jesus. How that he also did not enter into a public ministry till he was anointed or the Holy Spirit came on him just like Jesus predicted and prophesied what happened to the disciples. Notice what he says in verse 37 and verse 38. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. There's two things. One's attached to the other. We often think the Holy Spirit's everything. No, he comes along with something else. And it says here how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Go back with me to Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 1. I want you to look at that, that verse in a brand new way. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Notice what it says. It says you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Notice when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes along with power. Power is something that all you need to do is reach out and receive. It's so simple. I complicated it for years, thought I had to spend hours in the prayer. Can you imagine Jesus when Jairus said, come and pray for my daughter who's dying? And Jesus said, wait a minute, I need to go for a few hours and pray in the closet. And we often think that's what we need to do. Folks, life is too filled with unchangeable things that come at us so quickly, we don't have time to go into a prayer closet, take time for heavy intercession, but we do, all we have to do is reach out and take the power because it's always there. Amen. Listen to me carefully. I thought power came from praying in the Spirit. 
Power doesn't come from praying in the Spirit. Power was given to you the moment you received the Spirit, and it never has to be done any other way than simply receiving it. Praying in tongues does not bring power. Praying in tongues makes you sensitive to the will of God for your life. What direction to turn, power is received. Reach out and take it. The Holy Spirit's for you personally. The Holy Spirit's to edify you personally. Praying in the Spirit builds you up, but the power is for ministering to other people. And we have not been sent here to think only about ourselves. We've sat in church for years. My people the same way. When I turned my church over to my son, the first thing he said is, Dad, we're going to make this more of an outreach church. I said, have at it. He said, there's a community out there that needs Jesus. Do you begin to teach people? We're still going to teach the Bible. We're still going to teach you the Word of God. But we're going to challenge you with every one of these. Take these truths to the world out there because they need it. They don't understand what's going on. We do. They don't understand a relationship with Jesus, but we do. And the simplicity of us, take this out there so they can receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen to me carefully. The power of the Spirit was given to you for the supernatural. The supernatural is the other half of witnessing. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16 describes the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We stop right there. Finish the rest of it. Preaching's only half of it. The other half is lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Cast out devils. He's simply saying the supernatural is the other half of witnessing. Because there's a world out there that's tired of hearing about Jesus. They need to see Jesus. Say, well, he's in heaven. No, you're down here. You are Jesus. You understand that? He went to heaven and gave you the very same word that he had. In fact, there's more of the word that he had. We have the book of Acts, Romans, all the way through the New Testament. Jesus had everything up through the Old Testament. You understand we have that, but what God has given us is the same supernatural message and the same supernatural ability that Jesus walked in. It's not just preaching alone. It's also signs and wonders. Look at another verse of Scripture with me. Look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, Paul is reflecting back on his ministry at Rome. And in the closing chapters, chapter 15 here, as he's closing this book out, he reflects back on how he first came. And reflects back on the fact that when he came there, he came like he has in so many other places. He came with miracles. Thessalonica, he came with miracles. Philippi, he came with miracles. Ephesus, he came with miracles. Corinth, he came with miracles. And he mentioned those in all those books. But in the beginning of Romans, it isn't mentioned. But at the end of Romans, he now tells how he came to the area. And notice what he says in verse 18 and 19. Romans chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. Paul says, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished or wrought through me. In word and deed. Notice, in word and deed. He says, with might, or he says, in word and deed to make the Gentiles or the heathen obedient. With mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Say fully preached. I want you to notice, if you're not having signs and wonders follow your ministry, you are not fully preaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If all you do is talk to people about Jesus, that's half of it. The other half is the supernatural. 
Kenneth Hagin said years ago that healing is the dinner bell for the gospel. You ring it, they'll come from everywhere because they want that dinner. Boy, you come and they come with seeing signs and what. Listen, Jesus did both. There's times he preached. At the end of his sermon, it said that many believed on him. But there's other times all he did for days was just heal the people. They saw miracles. They saw deaf people uh, hear. They saw blind people see. They saw lame people get up and walk. They saw the dead raised back. And at the end of it says, and many believed on him. The preaching and the miracles both accomplished the same thing. Many believed on him. Jesus didn't come just to heal people because that's temporary. He came to use temporary things to get eternal things into their life. And the temporary healings brought eternal life to them when they saw if Jesus can heal my body, he can redeem my soul. He can give me eternal life. So again, what God has told us to do is to fully preach the gospel of Christ. I was at a meeting one day and Lester Summerall was there. I was ministering to the church. He was ministering that night. And they asked him to speak to the students who were graduating from a Bible school at that church. And there was about 15 of them. And Lester asked, he said, of the 15 that are here, I want those that are called a pastor to stand up. And about seven of them stood up. He said, I'm going to ask you a question. He said, there's, there's no right or wrong answer. How are you going to start your church? And, of course, they were all planning within the next few weeks of starting a church. And one of them said, well, I've got a friend that has a television station. He said he'd give me a few moments free on there. So I'm going to make some real quick commercials. And they'll come between the shows. And I'm going to advertise my church. And he said, okay. And the next one said, what about you? He says, well, I'm going to get on the radio. He says, "Uh, I'm going to put my ads on the radio. I've got my, they're all written up. He asked another one. He said, how are you going to do it? He said, I'm going to, I'm going to staple some, some, uh, papers onto the telephone poles and they're going to be, you know, ads for my church and I'm going to advertise when my church is going to start and all that. And and Lester said, that's fine, but I want to ask you a question. What if you have no money? How do you start a church? How do you start a church with no money? And everyone was just quiet. He said, let me tell you how we started a church in the Philippines. He said, we sent our students out to graduate with little bottles of oil in their hand and they knocked on doors and all they said was, is there any sick people here? 80% of the homes had sick people. Children were sick, husbands were sick, aunts were sick, wives were sick. He said, the students went in there and they anointed them with oil. And when they got healed, they walked out the door saying, we're starting a church tomorrow night on Thursday night. He said, the place was packed with people. The supernatural draws people in. And you haven't been called just to talk to people in Walmart. You've been called to pray for people with problems. Expect to see differences. And when you pray for them, if you're praying for a child at home, tell them, I'm from such and such a church. Our church service is on Sunday morning. Here's a card for our church. Here's the address of it. But I want you to come to church and tell me how your child was healed. Approach it in faith that your prayer is going to work. And they'll come. Because there's people out there. How do you know problems still exist? But how do you know answers still exist? The problems haven't changed. It's the same devil. It's the same sickness. It's the same disease. It's the same poverty. It's the same needs around us. But Jesus Christ came to give us life and give it more abundantly. And we have the answer through the power of Jesus Christ. That's good preaching. Good preaching, Bob. Thank you. In fact, that word receive, you shall receive power, is the key word for all of the Bible. Listen to this. The word receive is used. The word receive in the Greek, lombano, means to take hold of or to seize. Just reach out there and seize it. Just reach out there and take it. Reach out there and receive it because it's always available. 
Once you receive the Holy Spirit, this is after you get saved. Once you're saved and you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, along with that Holy Spirit comes power. It's always there. And so again, you receive it. Salvation is received. Again, the key word of the entire Bible. John chapter 1 and verse 12, as many as received him. You know what received means? It's a gift. All you have to do is take it. God brings it all wrapped up in a big bow and holds it out to you. All you have to do is take it. There's no works required. There's no church attendance required. We're having a water baptism, but you don't have to be water baptized to go to heaven. We get water baptized because we love Jesus so much we want to obey his word. It tells us as a means of witnessing to others, show what's happened to you. I have died with Christ, been buried with him, came up out of the grave, and now I have eternal life. So, again, receiving just simply ties it to the fact that everything that God has for us is a gift. So, we have salvation as a gift, as many as received him. Healing, Mark chapter 10 and verse 51 says, the blind receive their sight. Healing is nothing more than reaching out and taking what Jesus provided at the cross. He not only went there for our sins, but he also went there for our infirmities and our diseases. And by his stripes, we were healed. He paid the price. We don't have to add anything to it. He picked up the tab at the cross. We can't even pick up the tip. It's been paid for. We just reach out and take it. So the blind receive their sight. It comes to the word of God in Luke chapter 18, James chapter 1 and verse 21 says that we receive with meekness the engrafted word. The Bible, all the scriptures in it were a gift to you, but don't leave it on your coffee table. Pick it up and start receiving the gift of the word of God into your life. And finally, here we have the Holy Spirit. I love this verse in Acts chapter 8 where they prayed, John and Peter went to Samaria, who had just had a revival, and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is received. Salvation is received. The Word is received. Healing is received. And here he's saying the power is received. You need power, reach out and take it. When you're in Walmart again, or you're in Lowe's, or you're in some other store, and you're there, and someone tells you, and you you introduce yourself, or you're there in line, how are you doing? Do you have any needs? And someone says, my daughter's sick. Man, you don't have to say, well, I need to go home and pray about that. No. You just reach out there and take the power, because it's always available. Always available. Let me tell you, I'm 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 going to try everything to do not to flatter you today. And this one's really going to work, because you won't be flattered by this one. You are a wire. That's all you are. Just a wire. Say, what do you mean? Have you ever noticed we don't like wires? We put them in the floor. We put them in the ceiling. We put them in the walls. We try our best to get rid of them. We put them so high in the air we don't just notice them. We bury them under the ground. We don't like wires. Wires are an ugly necessity. There's a big power plant across town that produces a lot of power. And between the power plant and this place, there's wires. That's why we have lights in here today. But you don't stop to think about there's wires because wires are hidden. Wires are an ugly necessity. Let me tell you what you are. You are a wire that connects the power of God with people in need. And it flows through you. Just blend in with the wall. Blend in with the carpet. 
Be like the Lone Ranger. How many grew up with the Lone Ranger? Let me see your hand. Who was that masked man? He rode away at the end. No one knew who he was. The best thing to do is come to church, minister in the power, go to Walmart, minister in the power, go to Lowe's, minister in the power, walk out of the grocery store, you've just prayed for somebody, and when you walk out, they say, who was that person? I don't know. All I remember was Jesus. That's all you remember. But you don't have to be built up to some place and pray for so many hours. I don't care how bad you feel. I don't care if you got a sniffle in your nose in the first place. Just reach out there and grab the person on the other hand. Go, Jesus, and connect to the power. And pretty soon it flows through you into them. The same power that flowed through Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood was healed flows through you. Just take it. Just take it. The Holy Spirit is always with us. An ever-present help in time of need. He was called Jehovah Shammah in the Old Testament, which means that God is with us. He said in the New Testament, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. John 14, 16 says the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, He says he will never leave you nor forsake you. If the Holy Spirit comes connected to the power and the Holy Spirit will never leave you, neither will the power. It will always be there. I don't care how powerless you feel. It has nothing to do with how you feel. Just take it. He didn't say receive it when you feel like it. Receive it when everything's flowing in your direction. Receive it when life is wonderful. I'll tell you what, good times, bad times, the power is always there. You don't have to feel like a healed person to pray for a person's healing. I prayed for people to get healed and I was sick myself. God uses sick people to heal sick people. Amen. I've heard of ministers that have healing ministers talk about they came in. They didn't feel like even being at church that night, but they just decided to go. And the power was still there to heal people. Yes. Just receive it. Take it from God and begin to use it. All right. I was talking with a graduate of Rama. I taught at Rama Bible Training Center for four years. In the first graduating class I had, there was a man named Ray McCauley. He was from South Africa. He's from Johannesburg. He went back and started a church in Johannesburg, and it flourished. And he was into that church for probably about three years, invited me to come over and speak for graduation for his Bible school, Rama, South Africa. And I went to minister for him. And so when I got there to minister, he said, guess what? He said, I invited Kenneth Hagin to come, and he came three months ago. He said, Kenneth Hagin said he would never fly overseas. He didn't like going overseas. It took too long, but he said, because my church was doing so well, he came. I feel so honored that he came. He said, next of all, I want him to stay at my house because I wanted to watch how he conducted himself during the day. I've seen him in meetings and realized he must have some kind of special lifestyle. He says, I couldn't wait to have him in the house. He says he got to my house and he said he went upstairs one day and found a pinball machine. And he said, I've never had a pinball machine. I was raised in poverty. Never had much. My parents couldn't afford anything like that. He says, I've never played a pinball machine. He said from the first day he was there, he started playing pinball and he never quit for three days. He said, all I heard all day long was ding, 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 ding. He said on top of that, he cheated. Kenneth Hagen cheated. He said, he said he would pick up the table and turn the balls and make them roll in those little holes. 
And he said, I keep hearing ding, 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 ding. He said the tilt lights were coming on all the time. He said, and up until a few minutes before the service started, he said his wife Aretha was at the bottom of the stairs yelling, Kenneth, the meeting's starting. He said, just a minute, ding, 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 ding. And then he came running down the stairs, throwing his coat on, ran down the stairs, got into the car, went to the meeting, and flowed in the supernatural. He said, blew my brain. I thought for sure he'd be fasting all day long, spending time in his, ho- in his room, praying to God. He said, I want to stick my ear up to there. I just thought I'd hear him praying. He said, all I heard was ding, 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 ding all day long. He said, but it finally woke me up. He said, Kenneth Hagin was comfortable in his lifestyle. There's nothing you have to do to try to get the power to work. Just become comfortable in your own skin and reach out and take it. Anybody remember Dick Mills? Dick Mills. Dick Mills is a prophet. He died a number of years ago, but he was the nicest old man. Strange old man, but nice old man. And very old. He died at a very old age. But he would come and give words to people. We'd invite him. He would just be teaching along and stop and just tell people. He'd give them scriptures. And the scriptures, he'd tell them what was going on in their life, what business decisions. They just left a business. They were looking to get into another business. They were looking to sell a house. They were searching for, for a church to, to take. And I mean, just, just infinite things going on in people's lives. And every time, nail them. You'd see them just, and you'd see tears start coming down their eyes. And he would give them scripture. And we asked him to come and speak at one of our graduations one day. He simply asked, send me a list of the students in the order they'll be standing in. All he needed to do was look at a name. He didn't have to even see their face. By seeing a name, he had a word for them. So he came to the church that night, and two girls got there late, and they ran up to get in line, and they switched places. He came along, was ministering to each one. He stopped in front of this one girl and went, this isn't for you. Are you in the right place? She said, no, we got here late. And she said, switch, get in your right place. And then once they switched, he said, well, I'm out of the spirit now. He told the stupidest joke I had ever heard. My wife and I looked at each other and said, what is this joke? He got to the end and the congregation went, ha, ha, ha. And he said, okay, I'm back in the spirit. And he started prophesying to him. And I thought, really? This is how you do it? He did what he was comfortable with. Do you understand? He had his own way of just connecting. We often think you have to be super spiritual, not eat a hamburger all day long, fast for long periods of time. When all he did, he did what he was comfortable with. You are an individual. Find out what you need to do to simply receive the power from God. It's so simple. Jesus again told us, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let me tell you some things that I've heard about this power of God. I have heard that the power of God is difficult to enter, but easy to lose. You have to really work yourself to get into the power of God. But if you do something wrong, it just, it's gone. Someone said one time, they said, because there was so much unbelief in the room. I heard this. They said, there's so much unbelief in the room. The Holy Spirit just took off, flew off like a bird. He's gone. I thought, is he sensitive? I've had, I've had ministers come to my church. It won't even come out for praise and worship. They'll only come out when the service starts and praise and worship is over because they say, I don't want to lose the anointing. It's fragile. Who said? Jesus could be in a group of people with people pressing up against him, talking to people, but you can't lose it. You understand? You can't lose it. It won't go anywhere. It stays with you. The anointing has no wings to fly off. It's just always there. Never leave me nor forsake me. If, if it's attached to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's attached to me, then the power is attached to me. Amen. 
So it's always there. It's always available. And Jesus again warned us there. But in, in fact, there's one verse of scripture. Jesus was in the synagogue and it was filled with Pharisees who hated him, despised him. We're grabbing on every word he said to figure out how to twist it and get rid of him. And yet they couldn't, they couldn't get past it. Jesus always had the right answer for everything, the proper way of saying things. He was guided by the Holy Spirit. But he was in the synagogue one day. It was filled with hundreds of Pharisees. And the place was filled with unbelief. And it said the power of God was present to heal. Their unbelief did not chase the power of God away. Till they let one man down through the roof. And when they let him down through the roof, the power of God was there to heal him. And God healed a man on a bed. So again, we have that this... I want you to look at a verse of Scripture with me. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Some people think you have to be separated from people. You can't be around people. That's what it's for. It's not for, it's not for isolated times. It's for people. It's for ministering to people. And you have it. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have it. And yet so often we depend on natural means to win people. We have programs and all these things. And those things are wonderful. But folks, you can't depend on a program. A program may open the door. It's the power of God that makes the difference. The power of God. Look with me here in uh, verse, John chapter 6, verse 5. John chapter 6 and verse 5. Look what it says. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. In that verse, Jesus saw the multitudes coming. They, had, they didn't have enough food. He knew exactly what he was going to do. But he turned to Philip and said, Philip, how are we going to handle this? And the best news could have been for Philip to said, Lord, I don't know. But you know what? You've always come through every time. You're going to come through again. But Philip stood back on his normal thing. I see multitudes of people. I see five loaves of bread and two fish. How are we going to feed this multitude with this little bit? But how did Jesus know what he was going to do? The opening verse, the opening part of that verse, Jesus lifted up his eyes. Jesus lifted up his eyes. Let me tell you what that means. Jesus took his eyes off this natural world and looked onto a spiritual world that's here. You understand we live in two worlds? And the two worlds are not here and off in heaven somewhere. The two worlds stand side by side. How do you know this room is not just filled with people, it's filled with angels? See, we don't stop to think about that often. We come to church and we think how many people are here. How about the angels that attend? They're here. I think of the man one time that was Elijah's or Elisha's... Uh, servant named Gehazi took care of him. Gehazi walked out one day and said, <clears throat> sir, we're outnumbered. He said, how do you know? He says, well, I counted. He said, he looked outside and the, and the, the army that was going to come against Elisha was out there. And he counted. He probably went, huh, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000, one, two. Sir, we're outnumbered. <laughs> and he said, no, we're not. He goes, really? So he went back out, uh-huh, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 60,000. One, two. Sir, I still think we're out there. He says, no, no, no. He said, there's more that be with us than those that be with them. And then he said something. He said, Lord, open his eyes. It's a whole lot better if you open your own eyes than for God to have to open your eyes. See, Jesus opened his own eyes. Jesus lifted up his eyes. 
And when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he looked past the multitudes coming and he saw provision in the other realm that always is greater than the need in this realm. There's another realm out there. Someone gives you a report, my daughter's dying, what? She has leukemia. They've only given her a few more hours to a few more days to live. And you say, oh, what are we going to do? Shift your eyes over to another realm and realize there's nothing impossible in that realm. There's nothing God can't do in that realm. And suddenly you lose all fear in this realm and you gain all the courage of that realm. And that is you lift up your eyes. Jesus lifted up his eyes. Let me give you some other scriptures where he did that. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. Before he taught, he lifted up his eyes. Ministers, before you ever open up the bread of life, lift up your eyes and look to that realm where your power comes from. I will look to the hills from which comes my strength. John chapter 11, verses 39 through 41. Before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he was surrounded by unbelief. Even Mary, who had believed in him so much, was doubting him. If he had just got here sooner, he might have lived. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. In the midst of all the negative, in the midst of all the pressure of people around him, he switched over his eyes and realized even death is not greater than the power of God. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came from the grave. John chapter 17 and verse 1. Before Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he lifted up his eyes. In the Old Testament, when the people were sick, being bitten by serpents, Moses lifted up a serpent on a pole that was made out of brass. And the people looked at that serpent, a type of Jesus Christ, taking all the curses of the world on himself on that cross. And all they had to do was look and live. And when they looked at that, the sickness was taken from them. The evil was taken from them and the people were healed. All they had to do was look. How you are Star Wars fans? Can I see your hand? Come on, Star Wars fans. I am too. I'm a great Star Wars fan. My favorite one is number six, Return of the Jedi. That's my favorite one. Toward the end of it, Han is talking to Leia on the forest moon. And he knows he saw her the day before hug. Uh, she's, or he saw her hug Luke. And he said to her, he said, you love him, don't you? And she said, who? He said, Luke. She said, well, yes. He said, okay, I won't stand in the way. You can have him. She said, no, no, you don't understand. She leaned over to him and said, he's my brother. Oh, I love the look on his face. <laughs> he is. Then he looked up at the exploding Death Star. Because Luke was on that Death Star with his father rescuing him, Darth Vader, as he was dragging him off. And all he said was he looked up at that exploding Death Star and he said to her, I'm sure Luke's okay. The look on her face, she went, he's okay. She switched to the force. And she saw things she couldn't see in this realm. And did that. You're probably thinking, what in the world does Star Wars have to do with this sermon? Star Wars isn't real. The force doesn't exist. Luke, Leia, Han, they're just, they're not real. But the Holy Spirit's real. The power's real. Simple analogy is just to shift to that realm. Look to the hills from which comes your strength. As we look into that realm, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. One closing story. I was watching the news one night in Oklahoma where I live. And in McAllister where we have a federal pen. They'd had a riot there that day. And the inmates were rioting. They were lighting fires, closing doors, locking doors and stuff. They'd gained control of the place. 
and it made the national news as well as just local news. I watched the news that night, our local channel, and they said, we're not going to switch to McAllister, and they named the man that was going to give the report. And the next thing you saw was not a picture of McAllister, or you needed to see a picture of the penitentiary. You saw a picture of a chain-link fence. And that chain-link fence was right there in front of the screen, and it was moving in the wind. That's all you saw. And they started talking about the riots and all this. And as he was talking, suddenly the camera began to refocus. And the fence seemed to disappear and the buildings behind it appeared and it was the penitentiary. But you couldn't focus on the penitentiary and the fence. You could only focus on one or the other. The penitentiary was there, but you couldn't see it. All you could see was the fence. And as soon as they changed the camera, it seemed like the fence disappeared, but it was still there. All you could see was the building behind it. I'm here to let you know you can't focus on both worlds at one time. But if you stop and refocus on that world, everything begins to change. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. This is a Pentecostal closing. I've got one more story. In John chapter 4, Jesus was with the woman at the well and sent the disciples into town. He said, go buy food. They went to buy food, but they hated Samaria, hated the Samaritans. Because they considered them, since they're, they're, you know, they're a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, or half Jew, half Gentile, the Jews would have nothing to do with them, the Gentiles would have nothing to do with them. To even mention that morning, we're going to Samaria, I'm sure the disciples went, really? Okay. He sent them into town while he stayed with the woman at the well. He sent them into town to buy. He said, I want you to go and buy meat, get meat. So I'm sure they stood around, looked around. They ran into a grocery store, bought turkey, no ham, just turkey. (laughs) Some bread, some chips, some mayonnaise, things like that. Probably put in a bag, ran out the door, went to meet Jesus. And thought probably as soon as they left the city, whew, glad we're gone out of that place. And they walked through a wheat field. And as they're walking through the wheat field, they begin to notice that this wheat field was ready to, almost ready to harvest. It still had a close time, but it was, they, they probably thought, wow, look at that. Man, I've never seen such good wheat. We ought to go back to Jerusalem and invest in Samaritan wheat futures. Because, wow, this is going to be good. And no one back there knows. Ooh, we could make some money. And they were thinking about this. They saw that. They could recognize where the wheat was. They could recognize how much further it had to go before the harvest. They got to Jesus, and they said, here, here's the meat. And Jesus said, I didn't send you to town for meat. I sent you to town for meat. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. I sent you into a town where they were so ripe to receive Jesus, all you had to do was mention my name. Others have gone before you and preached. They've done all the work ahead of you. All you had to do, the town was ripe to receive me, and you missed the whole point. You thought I wanted turkey, and you went and brought this back? The girl got to run back into town and do what the disciples were supposed to do. She mentioned all the men in town. She said, come see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. And the crowds came out and received Jesus. I'm sure, I'm sure the disciples looked like idiots because that's what they were supposed to do. But they missed the whole point. Then Jesus said, don't say there's four months and then comes the harvest. They looked at each other and said, that's exactly what we said walking through the wheat field. He said, look, lift up your eyes. The fields are already white to harvest. 
How can we walk by and recognize some investment, but we miss people? How can we walk by and see business, but we miss the whole point of why we're here? The point of why we're here is to lift up our eyes and see miracles, signs, and wonders to bring people into the kingdom of God. It's as simple as when you're out in the world, trust the power of God. Refocus your attention on His and receive the power of God. It's been available all the time. Amen. I want, I want everybody to stand. And I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now, lift up your eyes. I didn't say open them. Close your eyes. Now, refocus your attention on a world that's standing right beside you. Where there's never a need, there's always abundance. There's never a lack, there's more than enough. Where there's never a need that cannot be met, there's more power than this world has ever experienced. There's enough power to create the universe. There's enough power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You have not been ill-equipped into this world. You've been equipped with more power than you could possibly need. All you have to do is lift up your eyes and take the power of God. The Northeast needs you. New England needs you. Massachusetts needs you. Rhode Island needs you. Wherever you live, you shop, you work, there's people out there constantly in need. Quit thinking the pastor ought to go see him. He's got so much power. This power is for everyone who receives the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you.